welcome to this episode of uh, Anesthesia on Air, the podcast from the Royal College of Anesthetists. My name is Jan. I'm an SD6 in Great Ormond Street Hospital. I'm also one of the two UK anesthetic reps uh, from GASOC, Global Anesthesia Surgery Obstetric Collaboration. Hi, everyone. I'm Fee. I'm an SD5 in Southampton. I'm the other UK um, representative in anesthetics of GASOC. And in this series, we're going to dive into the global partnerships work at the college. And these are opportunities for anesthetists of all um, and grades to engage with the college's international work. This is wonderful, isn't it? In this episode, we have the privilege to talk to Dr. Catherine Horner and Dr. Tamara Miller. They both went as college fellows during their training to Mersey Ships. Yeah, I also went on a few trips too, actually, with Mercy Ships and think I crossed over with Catherine in Madagascar. Um, and this is really close to my heart. So, And Catherine, how about you introduce yourself and tell us when you went out to Mercy Ships? Yeah, so um, I'm Catherine Horner. I'm a consultant anaesthetist at St. George's in London. Um, my subspecialty interest is head and neck anaesthesia. And I went out, I've been to Mercy Ships three times now. So the first was as the Royal College and Mercy Ships Fellowship. That was back in 2015, and it was for three months. Um, subsequently to that, I've been out for two weeks to Cameroon as an SD7 anaesthetist. And then as a consultant, I've been to Senegal for, for three weeks. Um, maybe I should start actually by just explaining a little bit if you don't know what, what Mercy Ships is. Um, so Mercy Ships is a charity. Um, it funds two hospital ships, the Africa Mercy and the Global Mercy. And those two hospital ships uh, dock in port in Africa and deliver mainly elective surgical care to patients in those low and middle income countries who would otherwise wouldn't have access um, to healthcare or surgery. They might not have access because they don't have funds or they might not have access because um, that, that the surgery that they need is just not available in their country. And I think what really um, sort of distinguishes Mercy Ships from other healthcare charities is that they're actually able to perform really quite advanced surgery uh, because of the setup. So they bring um, a whole healthcare team um, from highly developed, high income countries to patients and they bring the facilities, the infrastructure, the equipment. Um, and they also allow those patients to stay on the ship in wards for the perioperative care and then once um, they're well enough, Mercy Ships has a land-based facility where the patients can go then for ongoing sort of recuperation and rehabilitation. So I think to me, that's sort of how Mercy Ships differs from, from other, um, other charities. And what about your involvement then, Catherine? So, um, so for me, um, yeah, the, the college really um, kindly sort of funded um, my placement uh, for the three weeks in Madagascar. Um, and they also made sure that I had a, a sort of clinical supervisor available at all times on the ship. So that was Michelle White and a remote educational supervisor at home. So that was Annette Schultz in Cardiff. And I'm hugely grateful um, to both of them for supervising me. That sounds like great fun. And how about you, Tamarin? What was your story with Mercy Ships? So I'm Tamarin. I work at a senior clinical fellow in Older Hay Hospital at the moment, um, which is a paediatric hospital. And I spent three months, just like Catherine, um, on the Mercy Ships as part of the college fellowship. Um, during that time, I spent quite a lot of my um, work, not only doing the clinical workload, but doing lots of teaching projects. So I 
was involved in a trainer trainers course. I did the safe paediatrics course and I did a modular version of the primary trauma course for our local hospital. Um, coupled with that, I also um, set up some simulation on board the ship, which um, the ship has, I don't know how many different nationalities, um, but everyone works to different guidelines. So it was important to get quite a cohesive workforce. So we did some simulation sessions on the ward with the nurses to try and make sure we were all singing from the same hymn sheet. Um, and for my fellowship, unlike Catherine's, I did mine as an OOT, so it did count towards my training. It sounds that there was great, great in, uh, involvement. And I know, Catherine, you mentioned Michelle White. We'll talk to her in an upcoming episode sometime, <laughs> talking about medical capacity building. But that aside, bringing back to the NHS, um, how was uh, your experience of bringing the schools back to the NHS? Or did it change any of your practice? Yeah, it, it, it really was. It really changed me, actually. I, I learned all sorts of things, practical skills, clinical skills, communication skills, um, sort of team resource management, because obviously I was working with healthcare providers from all over the world and we had to learn and strangers as well. And we had to learn sort of how to work together as a team. Um, but that experience on Mercy Ships really shaped my whole career. Um, one of the specialist interests on Mercy Ships is head and neck surgery. Um, and I arrived on the ship sort of having never done an awake fiber optic before. Um, and I was able to work with anaesthetists from all over the world and do about 15, be exposed to about 15 awake fiber optics back to back. And I think that's the best way to learn a skill to have sort of repeated exposure within a short period of time. So that really sort of consolidated that skill. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing was I was exposed to some really interesting head and neck um, cases. Um, I was able to come back to London and present one of the cases, a man with a seven cl- uh, kilogram salivary gland tumour. I presented that to the head and neck anaesthetist group in London. And I also worked with Michelle White. I helped her to write a paper on the management of maxillectomy and mandolectomy in low income countries. And there's a real sort of scarcity of research papers from Africa um, and all of those things really were then a springboard to get um, head and neck, sort of highly sought after head and neck fellowships in London. So one at um, St. George's Hospital and then one at Northwick Park Hospital. And then subsequently, I was able to get my consultant job with a head and neck interest at St. George's. So very much that Mercy Ships experience sort of really developed my career and shaped my career. Um, but as I mentioned before, I, you know, I learned so many other things as well. Um, and one of the things was was to sort of keep an open mind. So I remember there's one particular case that I'll sort of never forget really, which was um, an 11 year old boy who had a very slight um, boy who had um, a gigantism of one leg. So he essentially had, you know, an adult male size leg, but on a very small sort of child's body. And um, Mercy Ships had tried a few operations to sort of debulk uh, the leg and sort of help him. But ultimately, they decided that actually that that child needed an amputation. And I remember feeling quite sort of anxious about that, or apprehensive. And I sort of was a bit nervous about sort of going to chat to a child about having to, to do an amputation. Um, and I sort of put, put off, put off sort of going to see him for a little while. And then obviously, you know, went to see him to do my pre-assessment. I mean, we all live on the ship. So you, you the patients are admitted the night before. So you can see them sort of whole day before the surgery. 
And I'll just never forget that when I sort of went to him and said, I'm really sorry, you know, obviously we're going to have to do an amputation. He just gave me a huge smile because actually he really wanted an amputation. Um, he'd been sort of dragging around a non-functional leg for so long that actually he wanted rid of it. And he'd be much, um, much more mobile without this leg. And I just thought it was a real sort of um, eye opener that not to put my own sort of ideas and, and expectations onto patients. And, and, you know, you never really know what what the patient wants until, until you sort of talk to them about it. Cameron, how about you? What was a memorable patient story um, you can share with us? There's a really interesting situation with the blood bank on board. So when you're a crew member, um, if you're willing to donate blood, you can become a blood donor. So you donate um, a vial of your blood and they test it so they know what um, group you are, but they also screen it for the usual standard infections to make sure that you're a safe donor for the patients. Um, so I had a patient who was a thyroid, um, a, a lady with um, a massive thyroid, um, and we were really worried about how much she would bleed. So I, in discussion with the surgeon, we decided that probably six units should be um donated to cover her operation and actually I was one of those units so it was really interesting to donate knowing that the case you're going to do is going to be with your blood um, because she was such a high risk case the surgeon was really meticulous um, and actually we didn't use up any of, of the units we planned on her um, however two days later um, I was involved in a really interesting series of patients we had for the first time on Mercy Ships a neurosurgeon on board and he was working alongside the Maxfax surgeons to operate on a series of encephalocele's, um, which hadn't been operated on in Madagascar because there wasn't a, a neurosurgeon who could do it. Um, and on this particular day, um, I had a little girl and she did bleed quite a lot um, to the point where we needed to give her a transfusion. And as I requested the bag of blood from transfusion, um, it arrived. And as I was sticking the pin in it, um, I saw my name looking back at me. And it was a really humbling moment um, knowing that that was my blood going into my patient. And I was doing just an extra bit towards her care that day. Um, she was a lovely girl, but she had a really stormy um, post-operative phase um, she was one of five and hers was definitely um, the stormiest and it was an ongoing joke in amongst the anaesthetists that she was quite cranky post-op because she had my blood so um, yeah that was just a story that really stuck with me of how wonderful the crew is to support patients not only just doing jobs but also with, with their with their blood <laughs> That's a great story, Tamron. Thank you. It's just amazing to hear, like you said, that the crew can be a walking blood bank when needed. So moving on now to trainees who are interested in going, what would be your top tips uh, for trainees trying to go abroad? I think um, from my side, I'd say just to be really organised. These things take a really long time to push through. So you have to get um, once you've attained your fellowship, you need to get approval from your own training um, TPD and sign off. Um, the college, if it's a college funded one, have already given their permission, but you also need to seek permission from the GMC. Um, certainly because I took mine as an oopsie to get it counted towards training. There have to be um, things in place so that it looks like training and that means a supervisor um, like the college had set up for us. Um, secondly, finances play a big um, role in it. So um, the college did fund our finances on this trip, but I'm not sure that's an ongoing thing and it, it will vary from fellowship to fellowship. Um, I 
adopted a bunch of locums to try and make sure that my not only my funds for the trip were paid but also the mortgage at home so that would be an important thing well ahead of time to to work out what your finances will look for during your um stint abroad and make sure they're covered so that you're not left in a difficult position probably the last thing i'd say just to have a plan um, so that when you go to go to whatever um, fellowship you are, you're on the ground running. Um, time is limited and you get really involved in what, you know, the day to day life. But if you want to take get something out of it, I would say have a good plan of what to do. So that that can start from the get go. And what about you, Catherine? What do you feel are the top tips to trainees trying to go abroad? Um, I would say if you have any desire um, to go and do some um, work abroad, uh, just go for it. Um, try and keep an open mind. Try and be flexible. You know, no doubt the trip will will not turn out how you expect. It'll be different to how you expect. Um, but no matter what happens, I think you'll you'll learn a lot from it and you'll come back um, a different anaesthetist and, and, and most likely probably a better anaesthetist. Um, if you're interested in the Mercy ships, then definitely be be organized everything happens at least sort of nine months uh, be, uh, ahead of time um, and have a good look on their website they've got loads of different types of opportunities so teaching opportunities um, if you're a more senior anaesthetist trainee or consultant you might wish to do be an anesthesia provider where you're leading on cases if you're a less experienced anaesthetist you might want to consider going as an anesthesia assistant where you'll be working with with a more experienced anaesthetist. Um, but no matter what level, um, I really would just emphasize again, you're really well supported on the ship. I never felt, although the cases push you a little bit outside of your comfort zone, perhaps, um, you're always supported. There's always expertise around you. You never feel alone. So yeah, definitely go for it. Oh, that's great. I also remember, Catherine, you told us um, your agility was tested. You were, because of Ebola, you got moved from Benin to Madagascar, but well done you. And thank you so much for your pearl of wisdom. Um, Any of you have ongoing plans to go out again with Mersey ships or perhaps the new Mersey Africa ship? Definitely, I'd love to. I'm waiting for the, the next round of recruitment. Yeah, same here. I think I'd really like it to be part of my job plan moving forward. I can't can't see myself not not doing it. That's wonderful and good to know people keep going back and, and more and more to learn. I'd love to go back one day as well. Um, thank you so much for talking to us today. I'm sure we can go on forever, but we probably need to close here. If people are interested, then just a few signposts. Feel free to contact the Global Partnerships email, which is global at rcoa.ac.uk. Um, or go on the Mercy Ships webpage, which is www.mercyships.org.uk. Please stay tuned for our next Global Anesthesia episode. Mm-hmm.